This is the Tech Chef Podcast, episode number 53, May 3rd, 2022. This is Marcus Wasden, a self-professed hospitality technology junkie, and you are listening to Skip Kimple on the Tech Chef Podcast. Off-premise strategy, business continuity, how about a taste test of restaurant technology, drive-thru or curbside, mobile apps or AI, it's all on the menu, cooking up for the day, it's a recipe for success. You're in good hands with the tech chef. Make a plan to be your best. Strategize with the tech chef. Well, here we are, another week past, and time for another edition of the Tech Chef. For those of you that are regular listeners, thank you for tuning in again. And for those of you joining us for the very first time, a very big welcome to all of you. This is your number one resource for all things related to hospitality technology and strategy to make your organization a more profitable and efficient operation. To ensure that you do not miss a single episode, make sure that you subscribe to our show via your favorite podcast app, software, or service. It is a pleasure to have you here with us today, and trust me, you are amongst great company. I will be flying out to Vegas tomorrow for Food on Demand, and I look forward to seeing many of you there. The amount of vendors and attendees that this show brings in every year continues to impress me. I was at the very first show that they had outside of Dallas, and even year number one, it was a substantial conference. Please come up to me and say hi when I see you there. And I have quite a few people already scheduled for interviews for the show, but if you would like to be one of them, please ping me on LinkedIn or text me so we can set something up. For decades, Marcus Wasden has been a notable leader within the hospitality technology industry, including in his current position as the general manager of the PAR Data Central Business Unit. Formerly, Marcus served as the CIO of the Atlanta Hawks and the State Farm Arena and served as the CIO of Church's Chicken and VP of Sales Support for Some Total Systems. Marcus also serves as an advisory board member for Hospitality Technology Magazine, the only media brand dedicated exclusively to covering technology trends and solutions in the lodging and food service industries. Marcus Wasden, welcome to the show. You have been in the industry for a very, very long time. Uh, for those that might not know your name, tell me a little bit about yourself, where you've come from, and what you're currently doing. Well, thanks, Skip, and, and thank you for having me on the uh, on the show. I could not be more excited, and congratulations on the success of the show. Uh, very honored to be here. Uh, yeah, my name is Marcus Wasden, and um, I have been in the hospitality technology industry for quite a while. Don't want to say how many years, so I don't want to date myself, but um uh, you know, super excited to be kind of squarely back in it. Uh, a little bit about my background. I, uh, I, you know, have always been a kid that was interested in uh, how things worked and technology and pulling things apart and putting them back together again. And, uh, you know, as I started uh, college, thought I wanted to be an accountant and, uh, you know, got a job uh, as in the mailroom at the largest accounting firm while I was a freshman in college here in downtown Atlanta. Uh, and very quickly, I realized that an accountant is not what I wanted to be. But they had this other cool group 
that was uh, a consulting firm and they were just now, that was back in the day when uh, technology was really starting to take off and uh, people were trying to figure out what to do with this thing called the internet and, uh, you know, kind of fell into the consulting world when I graduated from college uh, and got a great baseline of uh, how to be curious and how to be inquisitive and how to better understand uh, challenges that businesses were facing and did that for a while and uh, then was lured into the, uh, the technology space uh, around learning management, went to work for a very small learning management company, uh, less than a million dollars in revenue, and then rode that to $120 million in revenue and started off as a sales engineer. So the person that was had to be enough, you know, salesy enough to, to manage my way through that particular aspect, but also technically enough to pass the geek sniff test. Uh, and then, uh, you know, got lured into, uh, surprisingly, into the hospitality space after that. And, um, that's why I really fell in love with the hospitality and more specifically restaurants as I went to work for Church's Chicken, uh, which is a, uh, you know, a quick serve restaurant chain uh, based here in Atlanta. Uh, and uh, you know, really had some great mentors that taught me the operational side of that business. Uh, really spent a lot of time around food costs and how to measure it around labor and what's going on there. And the concept of creating a meal and serving it to someone and exchanging it for dollars is a pretty simple concept. But be, being able to do that in a repeatable fashion with high quality, with high speed, with great customer satisfaction and make a profit, that's pretty darn hard. Uh, and, uh, you know, I really got intrigued by that business and, uh, you know, was a CIO uh, there for a number of years. And then got lured away uh, in the hospitality space, but away from restaurants more specifically. I was the chief information officer for the Atlanta Hawks and State Farm Arena. So I spent some time in the NBA, uh, and, which was a wonderful opportunity because, uh, you know, the first 18 months I was there, we were doing a $200 million renovation where we ripped and replaced every single piece of technology out of that building and put it in and, uh, you know, did things like point of sale for the restaurants, but also point of sale for retail, which is a little bit different. Uh, and thinking about, uh, you know, spending 3 million bucks on Wi-Fi or for one building and, uh, you know, other things like distributed uh, antenna systems for cell phones. Uh, and we got some great success there um, and uh, we're the number one MBA uh, overall guest experience for the next couple of years. And, you know, that was wonderful and a great experience, but I still kind of, uh, kind of pined for the, the restaurant space. I, I met some great folks like yourself, Skip, uh, along the way and the people, hospitality technology and, and, you know, the different conferences and trade shows you go to, and it's just a wonderful community. And I was looking to get back uh, and I found an opportunity uh, now with a service provider to be the general manager of one of those business units and started that in December. And, I'm squarely back in the restaurant space and, and couldn't be happier. While you were talking about um, your beginnings and when the internet came around, let me ask you a question. Did you ever own a pager? I did. Uh, <laughs> if I had a regular pager and then I thought I was, uh, I thought I was the coolest kid around, uh, had a two way pager right Ooh. after college where, you know, you could, you know, it's basically the precursor to, to SMS texting with a little keyboard. So I thought I was pretty cool. Very cool. Yeah, I remember the <laughs> I remember the days of pagers, but um, and I'm sure there's a certain group of my listeners right now going, "What is a pager?" <laughs> I hate to say yeah, it. Yeah, no, but- I'm sure. I'm sure. I, I know there is. And, and so for for the young kids out there, it was the precursor to text messaging without a phone. So it was uh, right. it was pretty neat. And uh, you know, we didn't have the phones at that point in time, but the pagers were pretty darn cool. So I'm curious, when you were at the Atlanta Hawks as the CIO over there, um, sounds like you did a ton of stuff during the renovation period. Oh, my goodness. How did, because you were there when COVID hit, correct? 
Correct. So from a sports team perspective, I'm, you know, cause I live in the restaurant and the, the hotel world. Um, and you know, we had alternative methods to be able to still bring in revenue for the company, but how does a sports team deal with that? I, what, what happened during that time period? Such a, such an excellent question. Um, Skip, we were out of business, right? So we, we were in the business of gathering large groups of people together. And uh, when COVID hit, that, uh, that wasn't the right thing to do. And so when the NBA shut down uh, kind of on March, uh, March 11th, which I remember uh, very distinctly because that was 2020 and I was on a plane on the way home from Murtech in Vegas uh, and it also happened to be my birthday. And when I landed, we had a game and I saw that, uh, they had said, you know, when that game ended that they were going to suspend play in the NBA. Uh, and then on top of that, shortly thereafter, other leagues started doing that and the concert business. So, you know, we also operated the arena. So the NBA games were just a portion of the business that we had at the arena. We also had all the concerts and, you know, family shows and things like that. And so we were literally shut down. And so that was a little scary. Uh, at the beginning. And uh, thankfully, uh, I was fortunate enough to be at an organization that had a fantastic ownership group uh, and leadership group that uh, really was focused on building what they would call a championship organization, both on the court and off the court. And they felt like they'd done a significant amount of work over the prior three to four years of building that championship organization off the court from a business perspective. And they, they, were, they had the foresight to say, look, we don't want to break this team up. We believe that this is the business team that's going to make us successful. And therefore, uh, we were one of the only sports franchises on the planet that didn't, um, didn't lay anyone off, nor did we um, cut anyone's salary. We actually still paid bonus that year. And for our part-time staff, um, uh, through the end of our fiscal year, they continued to pay the part-time hourly staff uh, like they were working. And so our ownership group just really took care of us. And then on top of that, um, we made some strategic investments. Uh, we, were, we had made the decision that we needed to upgrade our CRM system uh, and our marketing automation systems. And that was prior to COVID. And we were about to kick that project off. We paused it for about two months. And then we made the decision to go forward and make that strategic investment uh, in, in making that upgrade because it was an unprecedented time where you know, all the marketing folks and all the sales folks who would normally be doing their marketing and sales activities uh, were sitting there kind of twiddling their thumbs and had plenty of time to engage with us uh, and get that system rolled out. So we were able to, to get that you know, ready to go. And when things started to open back up, we were able to springboard forward. Um, one last thing I'll say that was just an incredible thing that I got to do and I'm so honored that we were able to do this. But our CEO, uh, when the presidential election uh, was happening, uh, you know, there's all this uh, consternation about uh, voting and, and people having challenges voting and the smaller you know, organizations, like whether it's the libraries or the churches. And, and I'm not disparaging them, but they they're not used to doing those types of events. Right. And, and so for us, we were, again, the number one guest experience in all of the NBA prior to COVID shutting us down. Uh, and he had this brilliant idea that, hey, normally this building is is busy for presidential elections. We're playing basketball games and we've got uh, uh, we've got concerts going on. But we uh, we raised our hand and said, hey, we think we can handle voting and, and do it really, really well, leveraging all the great you know, guest experience people that we have. And so uh, we did early voting for two weeks prior to the presidential election that year. 
Uh, and it was a fantastic experience uh, to be a part of that and pull that off. So we were the very first sporting venue to do that. Uh, and we were also the largest uh, early voting precinct in the, in the nation when we pulled that off. And it was a fantastic success. That is fascinating. Uh, you know, it really lays into the fact that you really need a forward thinking leadership team to get you to the next level and always be thinking one step ahead. And it sounds like you had that uh, when you were at the Atlanta Hawks. We absolutely did. And, and I'll tell you, um, the the education that I got on the voting process and how that works uh, was was absolutely extraordinary. And, and it turned out to be such a great thing for us to do, but it wasn't without uh, its challenges and its stressors. Um, you know, as my CEO came to me and said, hey, um, you know, what's what's our risk here? And, you know, the risk is that you know it's it's part of the voting process and therefore uh, those machines have to be managed and, and driven by the county personnel. My people couldn't touch them. And so we, you know, we can ensure connectivity and we can ensure, you know, the other elements that we can control, but the machines themselves, um, you know, we, we had no control over. And, uh, and so that was the big risk for me, right? Like as a, as a former CIO yourself, right? You know, you've got all eyes in the nation on you. Every news camera is out there. This is a big, big deal. And not having control over all the tech that is part of it is a little bit scary. Uh, but uh, but we made it through, and it turned out to be a great success. Oh, that's awesome. That's a great experience. Um, a little scary, too, I bet, at the same time. <laughs> it was. Let's uh, jump forward to your current position. You're over at PAR. You're running the Data Central division. Um, obviously, you are all about data, as I am. Yeah. What does data mean to you and how does your product best leverage it? So that's such a great question. Um, you know, one of the things, and, and I'll give you a little bit of context before I, before I actually answer the question. Um, there's such disruption, and I know that's an overused term, happening in the restaurant space today uh, with, you know, COVID clearly was a massive disruptor. Um, but but even coming out of COVID and you know, slightly before going into COVID, now coming out, um, there's there's massive massive challenges with uh, you know labor you know issues in, in areas, and there's massive challenges with supply chain and, and the whole cost of goods side of the business. And so um, you know in the past, you know back when I was CIO at Church's Chicken, you know we we fought a little bit of the operator mentality. Uh, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it kind of thing. And so, you know, things are rocking and rolling and, and why change if, if they're working well? And, and that type of mentality, why I'm, why I'm kind of excited about, you know, hospitality technology moving forward is that that type of mentality doesn't necessarily play anymore. If you're, if you're an ain't broke, don't fix it kind of person, uh, you're probably not going to be in business much longer because there's a lot of stuff that's broke. Um, and, uh, you know, I would say that, that labor is broken inside of restaurants and, and uh, supply chain is broken inside of restaurants. So, Back to your back to your point or your question is, you know, you can no longer throw bodies at those problems. Restaurants used to be able to just hire as many people as they needed to to cover up or help with specific issues that were happening in the restaurant. And now they can no longer find enough people to actually keep the restaurants open in many cases. And so you're having to move to technology to solve some of those problems. And so, you know, one of the phrases that I've heard and have picked up is, you know, restaurants are moving from bodies to bits. And so um, you know, in that vein, you know, back to data, um, I think if you can correctly harness the data and pick the right data uh, to pay attention to from a, a restaurant measurement perspective, 
it can it can actually uh, act like a uh, an extra team member, if you will. So a team member that never sleeps. If you can really harness it, you know, we talked. You mentioned AI and machine learning uh, and things like that. But like, think about the ability for a restaurant manager to spend more time in front of a guest and systems prompt them for things they need to do. Hey, sales isn't quite where you thought it was going to be. Uh, you may need to send someone home, or you may need to you know downgrade what your you know prep fall production types of aspects. You know, traditionally, a lot of people have had to go and search for that information. The manager had to go to a machine and sit down and kind of run some reports or look at some dashboards to get that type of intel. But, uh, you know, I'd like to see that shift and transition in it being more proactive, almost like an extra team member or an advisor uh, to uh, to a manager or rest, you know, whoever the manager on duty is. And the challenge um, that we have today, skip back to data, is we're swimming in it, right? We're swimming in data. Uh, and, and that's only accelerating. Uh, and so, uh, you know, one of the big, big things is how do we pick the right data to pay attention to that's going to help make a difference inside the restaurant? And obviously, you have to have the right data in order for any of these systems in, be able to analyze it. And I want to take a jump back to the AI piece and, you know, it being ex, an extra team member um, that never sleeps. I'm starting to see more BI engines. And it, mm-hmm. this is not new. I mean, it has been evolving for a while now where... You know, even Power BI from Microsoft, gosh, it's such a simple tool. You can start writing simple um, English phrases in order to be able to get data out of the system. Now, from an enterprise perspective, how far do you think we are away where we're leveraging AI to be able to produce all of those aspects that we're looking for on a very simplistic basis? So there's no complications behind it. The data sits there. We've already told the data um, how it relates to each other, you know, how close are we to actually having that being a reality? That's uh, wow. I'll, I'll take a swag and, and, and we'll see uh, how close I am if we look back on this thing. So I, you know, I think we're, I think we're closer than a lot of people think. And, you know, at least the, the research that I've done on the topic, you know, there's a lot of solutions that are out there today, just like you mentioned, where you can use natural speak or natural language to, um, to you know, inquire about what's going on around you. Uh, that the challenge is is that those things are much like uh, much like uh, human beings. They have to learn, and so it starts off uh, kind of at the crawl, then the walk, then the run phase. I think we're just about to kind of get up and start rocking back and forth. You know, if you if you picture a baby there, not quite crawling yet, uh, but some of those things are really being stood up now uh, and starting to move forward. But it's going to take a little bit of time. Uh, for them to kind of learn and become more efficient around each one of particular businesses. So, Skip, I think I start, you know, I'm seeing it now. Some of the trade shows I've been to lately, you know, especially around conversational ordering uh, with, you know, AI, you know, kind of being that facilitator and removing kind of the human equation from that. Uh, Again, you know, uh, and and some cool stuff like there's a um, uh, one of the concepts out there that uh, that we've we've talked to or I've I've talked in the past. They, They have a celebrity owner. And uh, they want to you know, record snippets of the celebrity owner's voice and have that person be the person that you hear from at the drive through and have that be very conversational. That's pretty cool. Um, and so I think we're yeah, I think we're pretty close to that. Um, and uh, so I think we're right on the verge of at least doing that baby step part. I think it'll take another you know, few years for us to really get into the uh, into early adolescence and into adulthood for AI. But um, I think it's starting now. 
And I think you kind of hit the nail on the head there in regards to the learning process, because I think that is where the cost factor comes into play because the technology out there already exists. I'm seeing it in other verticals, but you can implement the technology, but it takes time for that AI engine to really learn the intricacies of your business in particular. And therefore it become valuable to your guests um, or your team members from a, uh, productivity perspective. So um, as soon as we start to figure that out and how to expedite some of that stuff or maybe figure out a way to, to normalize it across the industry, I think that's when uh, it will start to become more uh, more affordable. And we, you and I were talking the other day about, uh, you had listened to a previous podcast with Toby and I after Murtech and seeing a shift in focus from front of house to back of house. And you kind of alluded to this in your in your previous statement about the, the new sexiness of the side of the technology piece is no longer your your POS system and all the cool stuff on the front of the house. It's your CRM, it's your loyalty, it's your delivery. It's all those other pieces that sit on the back side. Can you talk a little more about that? I Absolutely. And so uh, this is my perspective and I, and I, I share what uh, you and Toby were talking about on that prior podcast and, and I'm feeling it and it's what gives me a lot of excitement for uh, uh, solution providers that are in the space that we're in today. And, and that is, you know, COVID really forced a lot of restaurants to pour a lot of investment into uh, the front of the house, uh, whether it was, uh, you know, uh, digital ordering, uh, third-party ordering and apps, you know, digital, uh, you know, uh, any number of things, the third-party delivery, uh, you know, really getting to know the customers and opening up these additional channels uh, in order to, to survive. Uh, you know, as, as, you know, dining rooms were shut down, drive-thrus became the focus and curbside delivery became the focus and, you know, other aspects of pickup and delivery became the focus. And so, um, you know, it was a great, while, you know, as horrible as COVID uh, was uh, to lots of people and to, to the world as a whole, uh, one of the things that it did do was it kind of forced the hand of a lot of restaurants to make those investments in those uh, more customer facing types of uh, types of technologies. And so, you know, over the last two and a half years, those investments have been made. And, and if you haven't made that investment, uh, you're probably struggling a little bit. And, uh, you know, I would, I would hope that uh, you're on the ball and, and moving forward in other directions. But now what I think is going to start happening is all this stuff is now flowing into the front of the restaurant. And what's happening with these pressures that we mentioned a little bit earlier around, you know, labor and making sure that we're as efficient as we possibly can be with labor and amplifying the talent of people that actually do come to work um, and that we can get to come to work, uh, as well as um, you know the supply chain issues with all the changes in supply chain and substitutions and pack size changes and you know interrupted delivery schedules and all that kind of fun stuff. You know, there's just a lot of things that are happening on the backside of the restaurant where there's lots of stuff flowing into the front. And now I think restaurants are struggling a little bit with of protecting the profitability and the margins and keeping that from leaking out the back. And so I think the pendulum is going to swing more to, um, you know, some, you know, an area of the restaurants that might've been ignored for a little bit and rightfully so because restaurants were scrambling to survive, to bring in revenue. Uh, Now it's, it's, it's always going to be about revenue, but now I think there's a little more focus on how do we protect the profitability and the margins on the backside. And and I'm excited that I believe the next couple of years is going to be around that. I completely agree as well. I'm going to take a shift in conversation here a little bit and talk about sure. um, larger companies as par is. 
obviously you have overseas development teams. Now, this is yep. a very um, interesting subject in today's geopolitical world of where we live um, and you know, everything that's it's happening in the world. You obviously have an overseas development team. I, I mean, how does a company prepare for a threat of whatever it is? And we never know what the next next threat is going to be, but you as a leader of a team, how do you prepare for that? Uh, it's such an excellent question. You're right. The world is uh, you know, shrinking. You, you hear that from um, uh, lots of stuff that you read. You know, with all the digital technologies that are out there, we're working uh, more closely with each other around the world uh, every single day. And so, like you said, PAR is a, um, a fairly sizable company inside the hospitality technology space. And, and in that vein, we do have uh, a number of software development teams kind of spread around the world. And so, uh, you know, uh, we, we do have a, uh, a, a good sized development team in the Ukraine uh, and they are working their way through you know, the challenges that they have over there that everybody's aware of. And, you know, one of the things that, that you, know, you do is you, you treat that much like you do uh, regular kind of business continuity and or disaster recovery exercises where, you know, you understand that, you know, in different parts of the world, whether it be weather related or natural disasters or other force majeure events, uh, you you just work your way through what does your overall you know business continuity uh, disaster recovery plan look like, and so uh, you know I stepped into this role uh, back in December of um, of uh, last year, so I'm a, a little more than four months in, and uh, you know the big challenge I had with uh, some of our team members uh, that were global team members was uh, you know it was more about. Uh, you know, making sure that we were competitive and, and, and retaining them because, you know, the, the technology markets uh, in a lot of countries were super, super competitive uh, with lots of big companies kind of moving into those different areas. Again, because working together uh, around the world has has become easier and easier. Uh, and then, you know, kind of early, uh, I would say mid-January, that shifted a little bit because, you know, we do have some folks that, you know, we're potentially going to be in harm's way. And so we spent some time doing, uh, you know, some disaster recovery planning and, and making sure that we had some business continuity plans in place uh, with the first aspect, you know, like we would in any, um, you know, force majeure event, if you will, uh, making sure that the team members are safe and secure. Uh, and then also with a focus on keeping them productive and making sure that they were able to, to work and continue to produce. And uh, we, we did a lot of work on that to begin with. And then when the event happened, uh, for those team members, we, uh, we spring that plan into action. Uh, and we had some very focused, you know, areas about what we were attacking on the product roadmap and making sure that we were able to continue to do that clearly after we made sure that, you know, our team members were, uh, safe and secure. And, uh, I'm, I'm happy to say that, you know, it's an amazing, amazing thing, but, um, you know, we're, we're in pretty good shape from a, uh, you know, so far from a software delivery perspective and being able to continue to meet our, uh, monthly uh, monthly releases that we have on a planned schedule. So um, it's an incredible testament to an incredible group of people uh, that words can't describe uh, what they've been able to accomplish. So uh, yeah, it's it's not much different, right, than a traditional business continuity disaster recovery planning session. Uh, it's just a little different flavor of it. That is fascinating. And I, you and I spoke back, you know, when mm -hmm. you um, first came on and you told me about your team over in Ukraine and I know the uh, the Russian troops were sitting on the border. They had not invaded yet, and you just you were all of a sudden your your complete focus 
uh, was shifted to, you know, a business continuity aspect, you know, what has happened. But it is so amazing that your team has continued to thrive over there. That is awesome to hear. Obviously, yeah. we, we hope for the continued safety of, of your people over there and all of the Ukrainians. And we're, you know, from the American perspective, I think we're, it's a, it's a big piece that sits on our mind. We're constantly thinking of them. So uh, your, right. I your, agree. your team's thoughts are never far away from us. And I just want you to know that. And please pass that along to them. Maybe they'll hear this podcast and hopefully uh, hear the words ourselves here. Do you have any insights for any of the companies out there struggling with their data and how to best manage it to leverage their position in their sector of the industry? Um, so, again, I think we mentioned it a little bit earlier. There's there's definitely no lack of data, right? I think that actually may be, may be one of the challenges that a lot of organizations face is the fact that, you know, uh, almost every single piece of equipment or technology you put inside of a restaurant or if you have a different business, uh, is generating some sort of data. And, you know, the challenge then becomes, you know, what am I paying attention to? What matters? And what's noise? Uh, and and I think that comes in phases. Um, I think, you know, if you're if you're just starting down, your you're trying to harness your data journey, then you're looking for the things that, that are most bang for the buck. And, and you may be more high level uh, kind of course uh, view of that. Right. But again, it's still very, very valuable. And then as you get comfortable with that and you start to uh, you know, kind of dive in a little bit further, you can look at you know, deeper and deeper and deeper levels of data and, uh, and continue to move forward uh, and then it help you kind of run and fine tune and hone your business. So um, I think that's a big challenge is like, what data am I paying attention to and what matters and what moves the needle for my business? You know, and then there's, um, you know, th- there's some groups that are out there trying to you know, figure that out. Um, you know, Skip, you and I both were on a call yesterday. Uh, where, you know, there's a, there's a group that's, uh, of really, really smart people. Uh, you know, I, I'm surprised you guys even let me, uh, on the call, uh, oh, please, with all the brain on. power that's on that, uh, <laughs> with all the brain power that's on that, uh, that call. But like that, that group is literally trying to figure that out. Like what are the key performance indicators that we should be paying attention to as a whole in the restaurant space? And is there a way that we can standardize that? Uh, and so, you know, I think there's just a lot of smart people trying to work and figure that out. You know, that that's that's big question number one. It's like, you know, there's a lot of data and the pace of that data is, is only accelerating as we get more IoT and, you know, other smart things inside the uh, inside the organization. I, I'll give you a great example of what I meant by course data, right? Like it's it's not very sexy data, but it makes a big difference to the business. And when I was at Church's Chicken, one of the things that even, you know, seven, eight years ago, uh, one of the IoT things that we were experimenting with was uh, a sensor that would let us know when the fryers were filtered. Okay, and so filtering a fryer when you are a fried chicken restaurant is a big deal, and it has to happen twice a day. And it's it's a hard job, it's a nasty job, it's a dangerous job, and if you're short staffed, it is it is a job that is easily skipped because you don't necessarily see the immediate impact of not filtering that fryer twice a day. But if you don't filter that fryer twice a day, food quality starts to degrade. And when you're a restaurant that kind of 70% of the food that you serve comes out of that fryer, that has a big impact on food quality. And so we started experimenting with these IoT sensors that would let us know from an exception reporting perspective when restaurants weren't filtering their fryers twice a day. And we could follow up on that and make sure that that was happening. That was seven or eight years ago, right? And so that's just one data point, but it's a data point that makes a massive difference in the quality of the food at that particular restaurant. So whatever your business is, you need to figure out what are the operational challenges that you're focused on and that you're faced with every day that you seem to struggle with 
and what are the data elements? And they may be very simple or they may be complex combinations of data uh, that get you to where you need to be so that you better understand how your restaurant is operating. So that's kind of thing number one. And then, uh, Skip, the other thing I think is is kind of a big battle that I don't know has been resolved yet is, you know, especially with all the third parties that are kind of moving into whether uh, third party delivery is a great example. Um, who owns the data, right? So it, it becomes like, is that customer a customer of the third party delivery company? Or are they a customer of your restaurant? And I think that is still something that hasn't quite been settled yet. Uh, and I think that that is something that, uh, that, that needs to be settled and needs to be better understand or better understood. Sorry. And, uh, and so that's another aspect of data that I'm kind of hotly you know, watching as, as more and more companies move in and they have conduits, co- conduits of customers to your business who actually owns that data. I think that's a fascinating question. Marcus, those are great closing thoughts for us. Uh, you have always been a superstar in the industry and while I know this is a new type of role for you, I can't wait to see what you do with it and where Data Central goes from here. Uh, Par certainly has the right man on the helm uh, for this challenge. So thank you for taking the time to speak to our listeners here today. And it is always a pleasure to talk to you. You too, Skip. Thanks for having me. Such an honor. And uh, congratulations on the success of the show. A man with so much experience that I am humbled by his presence here on this show. Marcus is such a kind soul and really understands from an operational perspective of what it takes to make data valuable and actionable within an organization. He will do very well in this new role. If you would like to reach out to me or the show, you can always do so via everything social at Skip Kimple or everything at Constrata. This includes Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and TikTok. You can go to the website at constrata.io as well as skipkimple.com. There you can get the show notes for every single one of these episodes. Of course, you can always email me at skip.kimple at constrata.io if you have any questions in regards to any one of my guests or you'd like to be a guest on a future episode. As I stated at the top of the show, I have several interviews lined up over the next couple of days to share with you on future episodes. Next week, I'm going to be featuring Zach Oates, founder and CEO of Ovation. He is an award-winning entrepreneur, husband, author, innovation consultant, blogger, and, well, we'll keep the details for the next episode. And just like Rev from last week, I never know where the conversation is going to go and what crazy experiences I will have when I'm around these two. Regardless, Zach is an amazing individual with an extremely reputable hospitality company geared around customer experience and engagement platforms. Want actionable guest feedback? Zach is the guy you should be talking to. It is almost time to get our Cinco de Mayo on. So until next Tuesday, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay hungry, my friends. And by the way, yes, I am the most interesting podcaster in the world.